What is life really like for African-Americans living in the middle? What does the middle actually mean? What are our stories? How do we navigate the middle? We represent voices of African-Americans living in the middle. Geography, class, family, profession, spirituality. Join Denisha, Nicole, Carrie, Thea, and Naya as we explore the individual stories that form our collective narrative. Hey y'all, I'm Thea, and I'm back with part two of my conversation with Mitchell Williams. In the second half of our conversation, we'll talk more about Buddhism from Mitchell's perspective and how being a Buddhist impacts his life. If you haven't listened to part one of the conversation of The Middle Way, you should listen to that one first. How would you explain what Buddhism is to a child? And I say that because we can you know, use the words and, you know, the things we've been taught. And to me, to quote that Denzel movie, treat, talk to me like I'm an eight-year-old, okay. you know? So I'm how would you explain you. it? I would say that deep down inside of us, we all have the best person that we could possibly be. But sometimes that best person is buried under things. Huh. And what Buddhism does, it enables you to get in contact with that best person make that best person come out okay so that you actually become absolutely happy then once you become absolutely happy that's reflected in your environment your family becomes happy your home is happy your community is happy okay so it's um so it's not it's not the absence of suffering, or is no, it? No, it's not the absence of suffering. Um, it's an understanding and an acknowledgement that it exists, but you move on. Like, I'm tr- let, let me let, let yeah. me let me put it this way: it's suffering is an unavoidable um, process in life. Yes. The Buddha says there's birth, mm-hmm. sickness, old age, and death. They said these are the for universal sufferings that all life must go must through. Must go through. Birth, sickness, old age, and death. Okay. So if they are unavoidable, the question is, how do we deal how with these? How do we deal? So what Buddhism teaches is that because just because we go through those things, they don't we don't necessarily have to be suffer as a result of that suffering the suffering happens is because we try to hold on to things we try to yeah we try to we form those attachments yeah you see suffering the the our happiness or unhappiness is not dependent on external things it's only dependent on the quality of our life so I'm okay I'm, I'm processing. <laughs> I'm thinking. No, no, no. I get it. But, but no, no. So how do you? So it's not a dismissal of your circumstances. No, that that's right. right no. I am. I don't have a job. I don't know how I'm gonna get to the job. The job I have doesn't necessarily pay my bills. I have all these other responsibilities, whether that's children, a partner, whatever. And life right now sucks for me. Right. 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 Buddhism says. That we can change this. That it can be changed. That, that I have the power inside of me 
to change, change that. To you take these circumstances, take this poison, yeah, and turn it into a medicine. <laughs> I, so I'm not, I'm not running away from that. And I'm not saying it doesn't exist. It definitely exists because it existed in my life. I can tell you things in my life right. that that you probably really you were Buddhist and, and that happened to you. Uh, yeah, I mean. Um, if we want to be very candid, I mean, I'm talking about overcoming drug addiction yeah. and the whole thing. Yeah. I've had to deal with this myself. Yeah. Okay, so we have a life force within us. Mm -hmm. Okay, and this life force is as powerful as the universe itself okay. because we are one with the universe. The universe flows through us. We right. got this power. We call this life force. We call it. Nam yo ho yo. So when we tap into this, right, we're able to change things. We get in the type of rhythm. Right. So we put ourselves at the right place at the right time to say okay. the right thing to the right person exactly. to make things happen. Huh. You get in rhythm. Again, I'm thinking about corollaries, you know, and I'm thinking about connection and similarities, right? And I think. That is how I would describe walking in God's will, okay. operating in and God's I will, will. And I will not, I will not argue with that. You know, it's it's the it is you know the window is open, but you got to be positioned right. at the window, right. right? So, you know, being clear and purposeful, and knowing that despite the obstacles, there is an end game, right? right. There's a plan. And there's a purpose to just keep moving forward. That's what that sounds like to me. And and, and I think the one of the, the major the major difference mm -hmm. is one looks in, ah. the other looks out. Okay. See, so say more about that. I, I, okay, I as, a, as a Buddhist, uh huh. Okay, let's. I'm gonna put it in language that 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 you can relate to. Okay. We feel that God is within us. Yes. So therefore, I am in that in that respect. I am one. Yes. Okay. So when I when I align myself properly, mm -hmm. that's when I come into rhythm. It's but it's when I try to deviate from that, then I I create these causes. I. So you're out of alignment. Right. And so there's no one punishing me. There's no one. Yes. These are, we believe in strict, strict cause and effect. And effect. Guy once told me, he says, if you feel like you're a toilet stool, right. uh, quit being crapped on. Mm. You know, mm. change it, in other words. Yeah. Now, and I said it politely. Yeah, I, yeah, I get you. And, and um, so... I believe that I'm responsible for everything that will happen or won't happen in my life. I'm responsible. So how, okay, so then does that level of accountability, right, because it's not an external force, an external being, right. it is you and your alignment. So. What 
what does that responsibility feel like, right? To know that it's in empowered. your way of working, okay. It's empowered because I know I can I, change this. I can business. change this no matter what. Yeah. If, if, if you're not a very strong person, mm -hmm. trying to climb Mount Everest yes. will be a daunting task. Yes. You might not make it. Right. But if you're strong enough, you can climb to the top. And once you get to the top, you can actually look out over things and see a different perspective that very few people will have an opportunity to see. The difference is not that mountain. It's your your skill set, your it's ability. It's you. It's okay. you. It's the person. That mountain is the same for that person that couldn't make it or that person that made it. That mountain is the same. So this is good. So if we keep that analogy going, then in your... And is, is it a practice? A yes. belief in your practice? It That's is the a best practice way. and a okay, belief. Good. Okay. So in your belief and practice at the Mount, the Mount Everest analogy, aren't there good people who tried to climb Mount Everest that still didn't make it? Yes. So... It's not a matter, it's not a matter of being good. Okay. That's all relative. Okay. You know, it's about the life force that that person had that made it to the top. Okay. That person that made it to the top had the life force to, to let them go. We have the capacity to strengthen our life force. That's what chanting Nam Yo Ho Ren Gekyo does for us. It strengthens our life force. So let me ask you this. Is there a such thing as a good Buddhist in air quotes? Yeah. Yeah. Is there such thing as a bad Buddhist? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But and is that a definition that comes from your practice or no. your holy words? No. That comes just from no. what you as an individual may or may not be practicing in the optimal way? Well, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So in, in, in that respect, this might sound arrogant. Once, once you become aware of a truth, mm -hmm. you have an obligation. Mm -hmm. You can no longer continue yes. to act the same way. As if you didn't know. As if you didn't know. There are a lot of truths that are revealed. And there's a responsibility to act a particular way. So, do you... So you don't think it's possible to actually know the truth and not respond to it? Yes, That's it a is possible. Negative. It is possible. You see, yeah. And that, <clears throat> and, and that, what that is, that's being a coward. Oh, wow. That's cowardly. You know, the, the, the <laughs> Buddhism, to sum Buddhism up in a nutshell, yeah. Buddhism is about winning or losing. Really? Yes. Well, who are you winning over? Right. Yourself. The negativity, your weaknesses. Huh. You either win or you lose. All on your own. All on your, your own. Strength, but your strength, your power. You're tapping into to that. To the life force. To that life force that you're part of. Huh. So that's the, the Buddhism is a battle with the darkness that's in us. Yeah. And this darkness, remember I said those things that are in power? Yeah. Want to stay in power? Yeah. It's, it's like there's a constant, you can't have one 
without the other. Right. You can't have that dark without the light. It wouldn't. It, it, right. it wouldn't. There's. That's how they define each other. Right. You know where it's up, begin and down in. Right. You see, it's a continuum. So, what what we as Buddhists, you know, our struggle is not an external struggle. It's an internal. But due to the fact that there is no separation between the internal and the external when the body moves the shadow moves yes so if i want to if i want to change things i don't go try to, to deal with the, the shadow, shadow you change your body. i change the body and chanting has given me the tools to do that now chanting it's not like i'm saying that i chant and that's it right but maybe i'm chanting and, and maybe i maybe i need a teacher Okay. You know, maybe I'll meet somebody that'll show me something new. Yeah. So you've been um, in this belief, in this practice for a long time. Yes. And from an early age, right? So it, it's, it's shaped who you are. Yes. The decisions that you make for the majority of your life. Yes. So how do you or do you have moments of not being clear sure. or do you how do you deal with those moments and, and one of the doubt is good doubt because is good doubt is good because doubt makes me search and make and it makes me look for an answer now uh, so are all the answers within yes they are okay you know, um, and if 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 I'm not always at my best, so mm -hmm. sometimes I do things that I regret, you know. Right. But I always know that I can always start from this right. moment on and move, and move on. And let's say, for instance, okay, we 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 maybe we get into a spat, yes. you know, and I've said some things right. that that I can't take back. Right. You know, I can reflect on my behavior. I can. I can pray about this, mm -hmm. and the most important thing I can do is I can make an apology to you, mm -hmm. and try not to do that again from this moment on. I can't do anything. I can't unscramble that egg. It's it's done. It's done. So we talk about causes and, and effects. Effect. If I make a cause, mm -hmm. I'm gonna get an effect. If I don't like the effect, is that what karma is? Yeah. Personal responsibility, the doctrine of personal responsibility. I made the cause, I get the effect. So that's kind of like sowing and reaping. Yes, that's karma. That's another word for it. You put it out there. Yes. Negativity see, or positivity. Negativity or positivity. It's coming back. It's coming back. But see, we as Buddhists, we look at the thing, the continuum, past, present, and future, because we believe that life is eternal yes so I've been here I mean I've lived before right so I made causes before so those causes might appear in that lifetime or some future lifetime the causes so you may not even know or understand why right, right. why you're getting something that but you I really know. haven't sold but you I, didn't sow it in this life but that's it I sold it right it's yours it's mine because it's happening to me but I don't have to be a victim. 
I can take that and become, use that, change that poison into medicine. So do you have, you know, the, the host of our podcast, we call ourselves the Rise Tribe, right? Okay. It's, you know, five of us and we hang out and we're each other's, you know, accountability partners and all those things that you really want from um, a tribe, right? So do you have a community, you know, where you feel, um, you know, care for and, and safe within your practice? Well, it... <laughs> I have I have people that I, I practice with for yes. 15, 20 years or so. Okay. Um, they're my tribe, but they're not my tribe. Okay. My tribe is the human community. At large. At large. I have a mission. Okay. Okay. Nam Myoho Rengekyo mm -hmm. literally translates to devotion to the mystic law of cause and effect through my sound. This cause and effect, the Rengate literally means lotus flower. Okay. Thing about the lotus flower is that it can only bloom in muddy, swampy water. Hmm. But it's not affected or polluted by a defiled by that muddy, swampy water. I have a mission to give those people that I'm in contact with every day. You know, my mission is somehow or another to be the Buddha that they see. So yes. somehow or another through my life, if I can bring some happiness into mm -hmm. their life, that's my mission. So my tribe it's much greater, greater than, that, than your that community of believers. Of believers. So what I do, uh, uh, I'm retired now, mm -hmm. and or semi-retired. I teach bicycle safety. Huh. So, and I teach it in the elementary schools and I teach it to uh, adults. That's cool. And somehow or another, this process of teaching bicycle safety uh -huh. causes me to do a lot more. I have to interact with interact with people's lives. Some people are very fearful. Yeah. Some people are really down upon themselves, and, and, and especially kids. I mean, yeah. I see it all the time. Yeah. And so I have to give that child confidence. I have to give that child courage, the ability to believe in themselves. Yeah. And once I do that, mm -hmm. if I can just change that person just for that one person, that one person, and I see them at the end of my four-week session yeah. or my fourth session, they're riding a bicycle or whatever. Somehow then I've changed that person's life. And that person will directly affect someone else. And Thus the whole humankind is your tribe. Right. So the change in the destiny of a single person will affect the change in the destiny of all mankind. We're powerful. Wow. We are powerful. We always say, I can't, or this thing is bigger than me. Nothing is bigger than you. Let's talk about dating while Buddhist. Dating while Buddhist. <laughs> is that like is that like driving while black, you know? Something like that. <laughs> well maybe you know, let's talk about it. Okay. So clear I mean, I don't know enough to say like how many people I'm just presuming I, that you don't run across 
lots of, well, maybe not. Just, I'll let you tell me. I'll stop presuming. Well, I, I, I got a funny thing to say, and then, <laughs> then I'll, I'll go into some serious. I say, I don't like to, I don't like to date Buddhist women sometimes. Uh-oh. Because they be chanting on a brother. Boy, they chant on I know it. I'm sorry, love. You're wrong for I'm that. Sorry, they chant. You're wrong so for you know, you, you you know, they chant on you, boy. You're in trouble. I'll tell you, you know, because uh, anyway, <laughs> you wrong for that. <laughs> so no, dating wild Buddhists uh, is interesting. Um, I meet women that um, don't particularly. It's not an issue for them. Okay. Um, but then I meet other women, and I can tell. Just by the expression on their face, right. boy, you getting ready to go to hell. Oh, oh. So that fear, that fear thing is, you know, I have to remember I was brought up in the church. Yeah, and I, and I know they put the fear of burning fire, you know, that as a child you say somebody you gonna burn in hell. Yeah, that that's that's one way. Yes, I get it. You that's know, a lot of people's experience of yeah. the church. And, sure. and, and 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 are you gonna die? And you gonna you gonna yeah? That mm-hmm. that you're not going to heaven, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of people turn off, but it's been my experience that once if a person once we start dating, mm-hmm. and, um, they actually a lot of them like to hear me chat. Really? And, yeah, because it's common. Um, and. Okay. Um, they, I think it's, it's it's the person too. Okay. Uh, so I I don't really have an issue with 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 dating uh, people that don't believe the same as I right. do. That was gonna be my uh, next question. No, I think sometimes it's it's because I'm very tolerant. I, I res- okay. I respect what another person believes. Yes. And if it had if I had to defend your belief with my life. I would because you have a right to your belief right you have a right for that to that right yeah and if it's making you happy go for it I'm, I'm down for it mm-hmm. I'm down for it because um, the, the person that I feel sorry for is the person that don't believe in anything yeah that's the person I feel sorry for um, so I, I, I I'm, I'm not I'm not into the dogma. Um, yeah. If I like you as a person, mm-hmm. that speaks volumes. So um, the title of the podcast is called Life in the Middle. And in the middle could be um, defined a lot of different ways, right? It could be in middle America, right? We're in the middle of the country. It could be mid-career. It could be between, you know, caring for parents and children. So when you think about life in the middle, how would you define that? That's interesting because when I thought about it, I didn't even think of it in those terms. I thought okay. about the middle way. That's what Buddhism is. The middle way. Okay, talk about that. That's that's the, the life that's in between two extremes. Okay. You know, uh, asceticism, you know, where you just deny and everything. Yes. And hedonism. Where you give in to every right. pleasure that you want. Right. Yes. Uh, Gautama Buddha, when he attained enlightenment, he lived both of those extremes. And he only achieved the enlightenment that we know of on this planet mm-hmm. when he chose that middle way. So that's what life in the middle means, means to me. The middle way. The middle way. I love it. Yeah. This this has been 
so good. Thank you for your time. I think it's been awesome. Okay, so I can't let you get out of here until you tell me my nickname for the podcast is called The Soundtrack. Okay. Because I love music and I really can't pay my bills singing. Okay. Nobody wants that. But I just love all different kinds of music, so I always ask my guests, what song is in heavy rotation with you right now? Earth, wind, and fire, head to the sky. (laughs) Yes, that's a classic. Head to the sky. I love it. That's your jam. That's my jam. Because it it speaks to me. That's, that's, That's my story. Keep your head to the sky. Yeah. It says, Master told me one day I'd find peace in every way, but in search for the clues, wrong things I was bound to do. But keep your head to the sky. That's it right there. Mitchell Williams, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Okay, ladies. So we're back with our second conversation um, with Mitchell. I, I was really interested in how... You know, we we are the Rise Tribe, and that means something to us. And the way I define it is, you know, like these are the uh, these people, right, in this space who you know have each other, and we're close, and we're accountable. And when Mitchell said that the whole world was his tribe, I you know I, I was just like, hmm, you know, and I I bristled against it for uh, for a moment because I'm like. How can you just love everybody like that? I mean, you you know, like mm-hmm. how can everybody be your tribe? Like, how did that resonate with y'all? Mm-hmm. It's a philosophy. Yes, it's a philosophy. I mean, it's a it's a you know, we talk in another episode about travel, mm-hmm. and if we're really international travelers, then the world really kind of is our tribe because we are. I am inserting myself into your culture. I'm coming over and I'm, and so I have to, at some point, try to make myself, um, what's the best word to use? Um, Blend for all intents and purposes, which we doing better in other parts of the world than certain parts, right? (laughs) I might be able to blend better in Africa than I can blend in Paris, but, um, but well, that's a whole nother story. But the, the, it's a philosophy and I think it's a, it's a Buddhist philosophy that it's like, the world is and really trying to that like that water, like we're flow, we flow in and out right. and everybody is right. my my tribe. You know, it's interesting. It's an interesting viewpoint. I loved it. I didn't love what I thought about my own response <laughs> because I think that's how you should be. That philosophy is what I want to have, but I thought White supremacist, you are not my tribe. <laughs> that's, that's what came to my mind, is that my tribe is a place that I can be my authentic <sighs> self, safe, mm-hmm. and those are the people who have my back and are uplifting as I would they, right? Yeah. So I was using that because I was thinking of Rise Tribe. Yeah. And, but the philosophy that Mitchell says is what I would, that's what I aspire, aspire to, to do. Right. That's what I aspire I'm to. And I loved what Denisha was saying, but my real actual day-to-day is I am... Um, more protective of who is in that inner tribe because it's my safe space and my, um, mm-hmm. gosh, my self-care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we're symbiotic. And so I understand that statement. I wasn't as challenged by it because we can't, we can't live in isolation. And, and maybe this was going in a different 
place than what he meant or mm-hmm. what you meant. But we need each. We need all of you. We need each mm-hmm. other. Um, to survive and to move forward and to progress and people that challenge us uh, sharpen my edges, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, That's right. I, going from something rough to a smooth diamond. And mm-hmm. so I aspire to be better at looking at the world as my community. But in the small steps that I have taken, I do feel like. If I lead with humanity, I have to consider the world my tribe. Mm. And I, I do believe that we are symbiotic. <laughs> I need something from everyone that I interact mm-hmm. with. Otherwise, mm-hmm. they wouldn't have been put in my path. Mm. That's right. Mm-hmm. And you take the good and leave the That's bad. And, and I also give, Excellent. right? Yes. I give something. I leave something with everyone that I interact Ooh. with, yes. whether it is good or bad. But hopefully mm-hmm. those experiences are... Um, useful and at least shaping the next thing and some Mm -hmm. of them (laughs) some people that are in that tribe of the world uh can be a negative influence or it can be bad but um you know for all that for everywhere we are now and for all the people that we consider bad now there's a whole national conversation that is happening because of that so So, um, cause and effect. You we, talked about we that too. We need each other. We do need each other. That's excellent. Um, so, as we talk about, I mean, Carrie just said it. Like, there's, how would you say um, what you believe shows up in your life? Because if we look at some of the challenges that people have, it's the hypocrisy word, right? Mm-hmm. It's the um, one, you know, your book, your writ, your your holy writ says this, and you do that, mm. right? So one of the conversations, you know, we had um, Mitchell and I was like, is there such a thing as a good Buddhist, right? What does that mean? Mm. So how how does what you believe show up? whether or not that's tied to any organized religion or not. I mean, I think foundationally um, what most religions try to teach is that you have a moral compass, right? Mm -hmm. And nobody looks at the other person's religion because you're not supposed to, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But if you study world religions, Mm foundationally they're all really the same right they're kind of the same and so it's like foundationally um i don't care where i came from or what church i attended or whatever foundationally it is i'm a humanitarian first Mm -hmm. love your neighbor Mm -hmm. as you love yourself you know Mm -hmm. um um take care of those around you Mm -hmm. um Foundationally, that is where I always look to. It's that humanitarian part of myself that probably did come out of how I was raised. Right. Right. And for Mm -hmm. that, I'm grateful Mm -hmm. for that. I'm grateful because I could have been raised by, you know, I could have been raised with a totally different philosophy. Mm -hmm. So I do in that sense think that that portion of me came from that. But I will tell you that I've met people who were not raised in any sort of religion who have that same philosophy. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Morality is not 
synonymous with religion no. all the time. No. Right? No. You know, I think this conversation is so helpful and I don't the tribe that we have created in Rise Tribe, there's not a lot of diversity, I don't think, in this area. Exactly. And that's probably why we've come together. We, I'm hearing, when I heard Denisha talk, I mean, I'm just mm-hmm. amen over here because exactly what you say mm-hmm. is what I believe down to the world religion mm-hmm. about how, when, how it shows up in my life is how I treat others, hopefully. Right. And I'm always work in progress, but valuing other people is at the core of my spiritual beliefs. So I think that's probably what drew us together. I didn't even mm-hmm. realize until we're speaking about this, some of those foundational views about humanity and things like that. I think that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. It's um, it. It's just again, it's just not a place, I think, in most of our lives where we have a lot of diversity. Mm-hmm. Right. We have people who are different political beliefs. We have, you know, friends in dish, different socioeconomic backgrounds. We obviously have friends who live in different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that I have a lot of people in my life and if I do I don't know how often I engage with them in this conversation Mm -hmm. so this whole series for me was very selfish Mm -hmm. right it was the opportunity to have that have those discussions and and Mm -hmm. share those and you know and hear back Mm -hmm. from people and you know to to see what they think so you know as 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 black people um, and again especially living in the middle of the country we are seen as and we do like I said, when I went to college and I attended HBCU as well, that is the first place where I learned that <laughs> black people were something other than. But I think fundamentally we're taught to you be with this group of people who don't. And right. if you if you venture outside, then something bad is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And which is why people never venture outside of the four walls of their church in the first place, right. because we're all here just to mm-hmm. encourage each other. Mm-hmm. And that's another one of those questions I had. Like, this doesn't make sense. Like, I want to work with the prostitutes <laughs> on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. I don't want to sit here with you guys mm-hmm. because. And so we are taught mm-hmm. that this is what you have to do on this day. And on this mm-hmm. day, you go here, you sit with these people. But what if that's not what God look like to me, right? What if that's not what my spiritual life Mm -hmm. looks like to me? And Mm -hmm. so we are Mm -hmm. raised around the same set of people that have these same set of ideas. It's tradition. And traditionally, this is what we do. And so to be able to have this conversation, like I said, until I went to college, I didn't realize people looked at Baptist as slave religion. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, wait, that's the thing. Oh, yeah. yes, man. <laughs> That's that. a thing. You didn't know that? Yeah. East Coast, listen, I, my friends on the East Coast was like, what? Baptist? That's like religion. <laughs> I've never yeah. heard that. I got a whole yeah. book about it at the house. <laughs> I'll loan it to you. That is interesting. <laughs> so um, one of the things that I just thought was really interesting in my conversation with Mitchell is we talked about dating wild Buddhists. Mm. And... Um, you know, he, he made a couple jokes about it, but, you know, it was his view um, that he could, you know, date people with, that have a different um, spiritual belief. So, you know, my question is, is unequally yoked really a thing? Um, I struggle is strong. I was about to say struggle. I've debated on um, this myself in my life, and I... I, I I don't know where I sit with it. I can say that, as I've said before, that like I don't necessarily put my spiritual belief identity first and how I look at myself and how I walk through the world, but it's important to me. <clears throat> and I, 
I I don't know if I could, you know, yoke myself up with a person, presumably, you know, for the rest of my life, who was 100% opposed to the things that I believe in. Because I think it's just, it's it's enough of a part of me for it to be a thing. I, yeah, mm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I could. Mm. And in my head, I'm like, you know, maybe I should be able to, but just real talk, I don't know that I could. I think that's fair. I mean, I think there is some truth to the idea of being unequally yoked, but I think it boils down to what priorities yes. you have because everything is not at the same level of priority. And even though you may not identify as a Christian first, that like we talked about earlier, way to say it. Yes. There is still there are still 15 different things that are below Christian for you. Yes. Maybe. And dating someone who has those similar beliefs might be higher up on that list. And so I think that that is still that's still a possibility because there's such a large spectrum with that. Yeah. Um, can could you date someone that is an atheist? It sounds like maybe you were saying no, but could you date someone that believed in spirituality and not religion and so wasn't going to church with you on Sundays but would pray with you at night? That might be different. Or mm-hmm. could you date someone that thought religion and Christianity was okay and I'm not going to church, but I'm not going to stop you from doing it or I'm not going to stop you from praying or I'm not going to stop you from raising our children as mm-hmm. Christian. You know, I think so. I I don't know if unequally yoked or when I look at it, I don't see it as binary as mm. we have the same belief or we don't at the same I, level at for the all same, of the same thing. Right. I just mm-hmm. see it as yeah. a spectrum of belief that, really that is based on the priorities that you have or that one that a person has. I agree with that. And I think you all know I'm pretty much an equal opportunity dater. So I'm the one who's dated (laughs) a Muslim man that was from Egypt and then also dated a Buddhist that's Uh from Cambodia. Um, But um, the foundation that we had and how we viewed people and how we viewed spirituality was the same. Mm -hmm. Um, A little bit more challenging. And I was younger. This was in college. This is many, many years ago when I dated um, that Egyptian man from um, that was Muslim. He because of Ramadan mm-hmm. and because of the prayer and those things, he I think he he was asked to leave. Um, well, he's Egyptian by mm-hmm. ethnicity, but he lived in United Arab Emirates. He was asked, I think, pretty much to leave there and go to the United States because he didn't go to mosque like he was supposed to and do some other. So he was a bit of a rebel. Okay. But um, I think those traditions are so deeply instilled and different mm-hmm. than what I was raised with. I think mm-hmm. it probably bothered him more. Mm-hmm. I was very interested in a truly wanting to learn. Right. And to understand, and I am so thankful for what he taught me because I already didn't agree with the rhetoric that people said about Muslim people in negative, and this just further instilled what I believed about the religion mm. in terms of being a peaceful and loving religion. So that was helpful. But it is, it's it's an ongoing conversation. I thought instead being Christian in my faith gave me more opportunity, and I thought about them, like, who are they going to date? Because Mm -hmm. I was thinking there's probably not that many Christian women or women who are outside their religion who would want to date them Mm. and what challenges they may have. So that's what I always thought of. It is. Isn't it unique? So I love it. I I struggled with this for a long time because 
when you're raised in a certain type of environment, religious, religion wise, and you are told these things growing up and then there's nobody there that looks like you in that space, who exactly am I supposed to date? Like who? And I, you know, and I was raised in a, you know, in a space where there was not a lot of black people mm-hmm. at the church. Um, and I will say that I've struggled a lot because the, you know, I've had a lot of experiences in the church and I've dealt with mm-hmm. this a lot. Um, um, there's nobody in that space um, that looks like me. And so because I'm very much attuned to who I am, and this was even when I was very young, I was very... Um, aware that there was nobody else that looked like me Mm -hmm. Um, and the ones that did did not want to date me Mm -hmm. and so um, through through evolution and learning and understanding this could be a whole nother podcast Mm -hmm. because um, through learning and understanding that and through watching even other people who do have different backgrounds. It's a very religious, even religious beliefs um, or even religious non-beliefs. I never met a black atheist. I don't think at least one that admitted it until I moved down south. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that is something that you have to talk, talk through just like you talk through money matters. Or just like you talk through having to raise children Mm -hmm. or just like you talk through. And just because, I mean, for fear of alienating people, you know, part of me wants to say you date people in church and it's not any different than dating anybody outside of the church. In fact, sometimes it's worse. I hate to say that, but it's been an experience. And so I think that through evolution, you and and having been married before, and I was mm-hmm. the one that was married that had a Quran and a Bible mm-hmm. that was sitting on mm-hmm. our on our um, on our um, banquet thing or whatever mm-hmm. you call it, mm-hmm. our, and you know you learn to accept people um, for who they are and not based on if you don't believe what I believe in. I'm not about to be fooled up with you. But religion, mm-hmm. all of that, dating, you have to talk through that stuff. It's no different than anything yeah. else. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. So I think a good way for us to wrap this up, obviously this is the Life in the Middle podcast. And um, Mitchell's response to what Life in the Middle meant to him was very interesting, and which is where we came to the title for the episode, which is The Middle Way. So as we talk about... Um, life in the middle for for you right when it comes to this area uh, for me um i believe i'm in the middle of what i know and how i act mm. um mm. you know the working title I think was like beliefs and actions mm-hmm. or so we had I had a different working title for it but for me in this situation in this context being in the middle is definitely between you know what I believe and how I act and whether or not I want my life to look different than it looks today based on what I believe um, so when we talk about life in the middle in this context what does that mean for you guys I could echo that. I yeah. think I am, you know, maybe I'm in the middle of um, religion and spirituality because I feel like I've mm. left dogma 
a bit ago, mm-hmm. um, but I'm still figuring out spirituality. And there are times when I feel like I need that. I need a community to help me better do that. And that's when I think about going to church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I and I haven't been to church in some years. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a constant conversation. So that's yeah, that would be a, a middle place that I'm at. And truly religion in the spirit of moving forward and the journey that I'm on has really been at the end of my priority list. Mm -hmm. So I think that says something there. I think I'm in the middle of raising a son that I want to be raised in a community Mm -hmm. um, more than the um, church I was raised in by my parents, which is more tradition. Mm -hmm. So in between community and tradition, but a foundation regardless. And I really want to have that compass of what is truly those fundamental worldviews of religion instead of, um, and not be caught up in hypocrisy that I can feel because I don't agree with many of the dogma and the doctrine doctrine. that's within, Mm -hmm. within the church. So and I think mm-hmm. I'm in the middle of a lot of things when it comes to this, um, just from my upbringing. And I think the middle is grappling with um, who I am as a person culturally mm-hmm. um, because of the, the the church that I was raised in. And I believe that my culture is it's foundationally important to me. Um, and I have the conversation even with friends who are African and who consider themselves Christian. Mm-hmm. And how do you how do you deal with that? Like, how do you call your ancestors when Christianity yeah. doesn't teach you to call your right. ancestors? And and that's a very interesting conversation because mm-hmm. uh, fundamentally, I don't want to lose some of who I am from that. Mm-hmm. And so um, when I need to and when I need to feel like foundationally I need to grab onto something or I need to hear something, I'll go sit in the back of church and I'll sit mm-hmm. and then I'll get up and I'll walk out. Mm-hmm. And I know when I need it and I know when I don't. And I take what I need and I dump everything else. And um, but same with kids, you know, um, does my daughter like to go to church? She does. Mm-hmm. So will I take her? I will. And I'll have a cup of coffee sometimes or maybe I'll sit in the back. And so um, just it's a, it's it's very loaded. It is. I, I've I'm I'm really looking forward to hearing what our listeners have to say and you know we really want you guys to engage us with this how do you feel do you agree do you disagree talk to us because again this is um i hope for this to be one in a series where we have these different conversations and unpack some of these things so thank you ladies it's been awesome hey we're going to trust trust our truth Trust our truth. Come on, we gon' tell it, ladies. Trust our truth. We gon' tell you how it is. Trust our truth. One more time for the road. Trust our truth. So, y'all know I'm a Prince fan, right? Um, If you read my bio, you knew that. (laughs) And I, for my big birthday, um... It's okay to be angry. Right, it's okay to be (laughs) I, for my big birthday, bought myself a love symbol pendant, what most people call the Prince symbol. It's actually the love symbol. Y'all Prince fans out there know what I'm talking about. But okay. So, you know, it's the symbol you see on the motorcycle for Purple Rain. It's the symbol that he used when he was fighting with Warner Brothers and didn't want to use his name because he no longer had the rights to his name. He had signed those away with his Warner Brothers deal. So... 
I had one of these made. It's not like Flavor Flav big, but it's kind of <laughs> big, and it's purple, and it has diamonds in it, and I love it. When I tell you I love it, I love it so much. One of my really, really good friends and mentors who I really look at as a, a work auntie helped me pick it out and the stones and all of it. So I waited for this thing for months, and I got it, and I got an appraisal from the jeweler that um, made it for me, but I wanted to get another appraisal, so get it insured, because that's my deal, that's what I do, fine. Mm -hmm. So I go to a local high-end jewelry store that I shall not name, um, <clears throat> here in Kansas City, and I had called first, because that's what I do, I still call places first, mm -hmm. and I got the price for the appraisal and how long it takes to get it back, and great. So I walk in there on a wonderful Saturday day, and it's one of those things where you're like, ooh, it's still, it's you know, 89 degrees, mm. the sun is shining, I can still rock the shorts because it's not quite fall yet mm -hmm. here in the middle of America. Yay, life is good. Coffee, mm -hmm. pendant, go in there to get my appraisal. And I walk in and I say, hi, I'm looking for an insurance replacement cost appraisal. And the woman said, yes, we can do that. And she told me how much it cost and how long it took to get it back, which I already knew. And she says, well, let me see the piece. So I open up the box, I take the pendant off the chain, and I put it on the black felt thing that they have in all the jewelry stores when they show mm -hmm. you things, right? Mm -hmm. It's just the presentation of mm -hmm. it all. She looked at it, and then she looked up at me, and she said, well, you know this is inauthentic, don't mm. you? Mm. And... I am rarely without words mm -hmm. and have a pretty good command of the King's English, but I had to process <laughs> that for a minute and said, she just got my stuff fake. That's really what just happened. Right. And I didn't really have a response for it other than the fact that I laughed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. I said, actually, I don't know that. And I'm saying to myself, let's see where this goes. Mm -hmm. So let me let me let our gemologist look at it and because take a this look. Because why you're here, right? Right, right, right. So I'm trying to get an appraisal. Okay, let me let my gemologist look at it. <laughs> Correct. Wait, right. Let me let this. Okay. So you go. She takes it and she lets the gemologist look at it. And the gemologist wasn't able to confirm right whether or not these stones were real. And I said, well, what exactly about the pendant, because it's amethyst, which are purple, and diamonds. What exactly about the pendant is making you think that it's fake? I just started using fake because that's what inauthentic <laughs> means in my understanding of yes. the Merriam, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. Webster Dictionary. So she says, well, they're, they're, the amethysts are just shining a little bit too much. And I said, well, are you a certified gemologist? And at that point, I had just decided, well, let's do this now. <laughs> you know, I'm yes. here. My let's coffee go. is kicking in. <laughs> Let us go on this journey, if that's the journey that you wish to take with me on this mm -hmm. Saturday morning. And then she took it and did some type of light test to make sure that it was authentic. And now my heels are dug in. Mm -hmm. I'm like, we, I'm, <laughs> I'm still gobsmacked, but we're about to, okay, fine. We're actually doing this. She comes back and like, much to her surprise, she was like, oh, it's authentic. Mm. And at that mm. point, I said, you're the only one in this conversation that's surprised by that. <laughs> and thank you, and I will take my things because I am not spending one, as my mother used to say, red cent 
in this place. Wow. And her eyes got big, the color washed out of her face, and she's like, oh, uh, 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 uh. I said, and at that moment I made a decision. I could take this out and be the angry black woman and she not fully understand why mm -hmm. I'm already on 10 after this whole exchange. Mm -hmm. Or I can stop and just say, let me tell you why, which I rarely do. I just don't. Right. I just leave because I just don't have the bandwidth to do this kind of stuff. So I said, give me back my things. I'm not spending any money here. And this is why. Your first words to me, you didn't ask my name. You didn't do anything else. You said that this piece that I brought in here to pay you to tell me its value was fake. You're not a gemologist. So how do you know that it's fake? I said, that was the first word you said to me. At a high-end jewelry store, I think you say something like, these amethysts are so brilliant. I really haven't seen these before. Let me go and see and make sure that we can give you the appraisal that we need. I literally said that. And then it was mm -hmm. like her eyes mm -hmm. got bigger mm -hmm. and then she got quiet. I said, so just so we're clear, this is why I'm leaving. Mm. Give me my things. She gave it back to me. I'm trying to put it back in the box. I'm like, oh God, I just need to get out of here. Put it back in the box, put the box in my purse. I'm about to walk out. Denisha called me, but that's a whole different <laughs> thing. That's why she knows the story. And I was about to walk out of the store and then she came back. And she said, after she had a conversation with another coworker, who was black, who I just believe he told her, go fix it. That's my story. I just, just that's just <laughs> yeah, a narrative. Yeah. Right. That's the narrative that helps me mm -hmm. get through the experience. Mm -hmm. And that's the one I'm sticking to. So she came back and she apologized and she said, can I um, do the appraisal for free? And I'll also expedite it. And I said, well, and I actually thought about whether or not I wanted to do that because then and his, this is the part, right? right? I was about to get something for free. And because of all the stuff that I had gone through, I still felt like maybe I shouldn't take it. Right. Because I didn't want anybody to think that I couldn't pay for it. Mm. Right. Does that make sense? You know, yes. so it's mm -hmm. like that's a real truth. So just from a trust our truth perspective, mm -hmm. all mm -hmm. the stuff that happened between me going to pay for a service, giving the feedback, and still feeling like maybe I shouldn't I'm take it. I'm analyzing an apology. I'm right. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I am sitting here trying to analyze and figure out what does that mean? Does, does she mm -hmm. think that I didn't have it? And, you know, why would she think that? And why would she think that this stuff is fake? I had this thing made and I don't do fake and like all these things. And I'm like, this is a lot. It is. Mm -hmm. It's a it's lot real. to navigate when you're trying to spend like the money that you earn mm -hmm. and that you probably also have microaggressions there at the place where you right. earn mm -hmm. the money mm -hmm. oh. and it it was just it was a lot and because I that's the other thing about microaggressions you usually don't see them coming you no, don't you don't see you them don't. coming no you don't this is why they're so painful they are they are one of the reasons why they are so harmful because they're not expected not at mm -hmm. all at all mm -hmm. and then the, and then the the next question that pops in my head is is I what is your immediate assumption when I walk into your establishment? establishment? Well, the unconscious exactly. bias runs so deep yeah, through that is, whole story. Is your immediate <laughs> response, and is it the same to everybody that walks in here? Well, we already know the, the answer. store shall not be named, right. it is the immediate response mm. for everyone that walks <laughs> in there. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem. That is a problem. And that's a problem. And that is, you know, I would say part of living here 
because I wonder, does this happen on the East Coast? Like if I walk into a store mm-hmm. in New York and it's a high-end jewelry store, is, is that going to be the first thing that they think? Or Denver? Because, you know, there's black people with money. There's a lot of black but, folks with money. Like, why you? Why I can't walk in your jewelry store? And at the end of the day, whether it was worth $5.25 or $5,000, right. I was about to give you a sum of money to tell me that. Right. So you took it upon yourself to say, oh, yeah, no, sis, it's not even worth the money that it takes to appraise it. That's really what that was. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. why is it not? Mm-hmm. Because you've never seen it. I was more prepared to go, what is that? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't. What is that? It's not a cross. It's not Mm -hmm. like, what is it then to justify the fact that it was actually valuable enough Mm -hmm. to appraise and valuable to me? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Facts. And Carrie, you said that they that's the response to everyone who walks in there. But everyone of color. Right. You didn't. mean. Oh, correct. Yes. I think that is a fairly common assumption uh, Mm -hmm. of how you are. A fairly common um, way experience that you may have on how you're welcomed or not welcomed in that particular establishment. And it does still happen on the East Coast, but it's more assessed on their perceived socioeconomic status. So if you came in in shorts and didn't have on your other jewelry and you look so youthful, you may get the same thing. I'm thinking of stories my parents have and my father doing work on Wall Street. You know, the ones where yeah. so many black men have where their suits are ruined because no taxi driver will pick them up. I mean, it's a continu- same continuum or your mm-hmm. watch isn't real or, and he worked in the Diamond District. It, yeah, it still happens. Not with the frequency, I don't believe, is yeah. my assumption, but it still happens. Yeah, we have nice things. Trust our truth. Mm-hmm. We have things. Yes. Okay, and money ladies. to buy them with. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this episode of the Life in the Middle podcast has been brought to you by the Women of the Rise Tribe, and it's been produced by Studio 902. We want to thank Mitchell Williams, our guest, for sharing his story. 